0: Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. Amen. Well, I want you to join me in John chapter 11. We're going to continue finish this chapter today, finding life in unusual times, living in the unusual. We started this last week, and if you weren't here or you haven't watched it, you really need to watch it to catch up to where we are today because we're talking about unusual times and unusual things and how we can find victory and life, true and real and meaningful, exciting, vibrant life in unusual times. And so uh, the world wants to put us in a box or in a parking lot in the unusual and Jesus wants to set us free in the unusual John chapter 11 is a beautiful chapter of unusual things and how God shows up in the unusual to make beautiful things in the middle of it and we've learned in the first 10 chapters we've seen Jesus demonstrating his divinity his godness and he's done it through in part many miracles amazing miracles. He's done six supernatural miracles leading us up to chapter 11. And in chapter 11, we see the apex or the pinnacle of His miracle-working business prior to His resurrection, and it is Jesus giving life to dead things, Jesus offering resurrection to a dead man. And that is where we are today. So this whole chapter, I had never seen it before. It's perfect timing as God would have it because the whole chapter is built around unusualness and unusual things. In verse 3, we find an unusual doctrine, man, that they're claiming the love of God. And it's unusual because it's true and yet we often make the mistake of not claiming our Uh, Our relationship with God, the fact that He loves us. Secondly, we saw an unusual response in verses 4 through 6 that Jesus, even though He loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, He hung around where He was for a couple of days and let the whole dead thing sneak in to that scenario. Thirdly, we saw an unusual expression in verses 11 through 15. Jesus said a really cool line. He says, Lazarus is asleep and I'm going to go wake him up. And we talked about one day that's what Jesus is going to do to the church, to his bride. Uh, to the believers of, of all of, of the timeline. And he's going to come back and wake our bodies up to be reunited with our spirits. We saw then an unusual commitment in verse 16, doubting Thomas before he was a doubter. He says, hey, if we're going down there and they're going to kill him, let's go down there so we can die together. A commitment that, that seldom do any of us make, and yet that's what Jesus wants our life to look like, that we just say, Jesus, I'm yours, and you are mine and I will lay my life down because you have laid your life down for me. We saw then an unusual timing in verses 17 through 19. Jesus showed up and he'd late. He missed the visitation on the sick bed. He, he missed the funeral and he's gonna show up and uh, it's a little late. And so Jesus' timing, we found, was very unusual, as it often is today. And then we saw an unusual faith in verses 20 through 24. We saw Martha say, hey, even now. She says, you know, even now he's dead, but you're showing up, and whatever you ask, God will let you do. A faith that pushes through the most difficult moments in our life. And then we landed last week with the unusual claim of verses 26 through 27. Jesus said, hey, hey, hey. I'm walking into a dead man's world, I'm walking into a grieving family's life, and I have a message for you. I am the resurrection and the life. And and then he asked the greatest question that he could ever ask, the same question that he asked us. And that is, do you believe this? Now that's where we left off. We left off right there last week. I shared that with you, I was praying with you, and that's when the guy with the dog drove up here and did a 42 point turn right here in the front of the parking lot. All right. I'm hoping he got some Jesus, him and his dog, before he left. Now that's where we left off. Now we're gonna finish this today because it just gets gooder and gooder. There's you some English. Now it's living in the unusual part two. The next point is an unusual emotion. In verse 18 it says when, excuse me, uh, in verse 33 it says, "When Jesus saw her weeping and the people who had come with her were weeping, he was intensely moved in the spirit and greatly distressed. Verse 34, and he asked, "Where have you laid him?" They replied, "Lord, come and see." Verse 35, for those of you that struggle with memory, verse memory, here's you a good one. two words. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the whole Bible and yet it's often the most misunderstood verse, the most uh, difficult to understand what's going on here, but yet we know that's the shortest verse Jesus wept. Verse 36, thus the people who had come to mourn said, look how much Jesus loved him. But some of them, but some of them, you see there's people who see the love in Jesus weeping, but then there's another group. It says, but some of them said, Yeah, this is the man who caused the blind man to see. Couldn't he have done something to keep Lazarus from dying? And I'll just answer Yes, he could, but it wouldn't be near as cool. All right. And so verse 38, Jesus now intensely moved again, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was placed across it. Unusual emotion. You say, what's so unusual about a guy crying? Well, it's unusual because guys don't often cry. They, they hide their feelings. But it's unusual because this ain't just some guy crying. This is not somebody with a tear in his eye. This is somebody who is God and man, who is moved so much, so much, he's intensely moved that he wept. This is a weeping that is uh, hard to break. This is a, a serious weeping, and it's coming from Jesus. And so why? would Jesus be crying? You say, well, because he was sad because his, one of his best friends, Lazarus, had passed away. And we've got a lot of reasons of why he cried, but why would he not have cried? Why did Jesus, <clears throat> why could Jesus just as easily not have cried in that moment? Well, think about it. In verse four, Jesus has already told them, the family, the community, the disciples, Jesus has already warned us and told us in Scripture this thing would not lead to death. So Jesus knew that ultimately, man, Lazarus, he can't die because Jesus has already said he can't die. This, it can't end on a bad note. In verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus, if he wants to, he doesn't have to cry. He can just think healing and think life into this dead man and he comes back to life. So there's reasons why he didn't have to cry. Not only that, in chapter six, you'll remember one of the coolest lines in the Gospel of John, he knew what he would do. Jesus knew that he was gonna raise Lazarus from the dead because he had to because he said he wouldn't die. Jesus knew all that and yet he wept. So then the question is, why would he weep? If you know all the answers to the question, If you know that this thing ends on a good note, why then are you so distressed, so moved in anguish that you weep? Well, there's a few ideas. Maybe. Maybe Jesus wept because Martha was still believing even though she was hurting. You ever think about that? Maybe he's just crying because he's so moved that Martha, even though her brother is dead, even though Jesus showed up a few days late, she still says, I believe when Jesus said I am the resurrection and the life, do you believe even in the hardest day? She planted her feet in Jesus and she said, I still believe you are the son of man, you are the Christ. Maybe he wept because he was moved at her faith. Maybe Jesus was feeling what the sting of death really feels like in our world, man. When people that He cares for, when He sees they're hurting, that they're brokenhearted, He's seeing in real time what what the curse of death that was initiated in the Garden of Eden in chapter 3 of Genesis. He's feeling the weight of that, of how much suffering people have when somebody they love dies. Maybe He has a Uh, he's frustrated at the lack of understanding of his disciples. Maybe he's looking around and thinking, you guys still don't get it. You don't get me. I'm telling you stuff. If you'll just listen, it will change the way you navigate through this life and through things that you don't understand through the unusual circumstances of the world. Uh, Maybe He's crying because he looks at the Jewish people and it said that the Jews were now beginning to, uh, uh, to be uh, critics. Instead of comforting a hurting family, they're saying, well, if he would have been here. And maybe he's hurt because the, his own people, the Jews, maybe because they're rejecting his truth, the truth of who he is. Maybe there's a lack of trust in what Jesus has already spoken. Maybe he's at a place where he's saying, man, I have been telling you the truth now for 32 years. And in ministry, for the last two years, I have not told you anything that is not or cannot be true. Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe he's just saddened because they ain't getting it. Okay, Maybe all of it just weighed in on the humanity side of the God-man named Jesus. So why did Jesus weep? I believe Jesus wept because He dove into the depth of their brokenness. I want to tell you something about Jesus. He doesn't always eliminate or remove or protect you from hurt and brokenness, but there's a reason. Because when He allows in His sovereign design for you and I to go through hurt, brokenness, and loss, listen to me, He dives into the deep end with you. He wants you to know that, in, that it's easy to be a Jesus follower when things are good and happy and like you like it. But when things are hard and hurtful, Jesus says, ho, 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 this is where I shine the brightest. He says, I will dive into the depth of your brokenness with you. So you just hang on because it's going to be okay. He says, listen, right now I'm weeping, not because of you, I'm weeping with you. I'm in this thing with you, but you hang on because this is where I do my unusual thing in the unusualness of the world that you find yourself in. Now, he moves on and the next point is an unusual command. In fact, It's a series of unusual commands, extremely unusual commands. Commands that you would be arrested if you tried these commands. Nobody had ever done this. Jesus now is going to issue some very unusual commands. Verse 39, Jesus said, okay, you remember He just said, where did you lay Him? They took him to the tomb. He's standing before the tomb where Lazarus has been buried, prepared, wrapped, buried, sealed with a stone. And Jesus, they take Jesus there and Jesus says, take away the stone. Now Martha, this person who has demonstrated her faith in Jesus, she just now is thinking logically and real. She says, Martha, the sister of the deceased, replied, "Um, Lord, by this time, by this time the body is going to have a bad smell. King James said he stinketh. And says so because he's been buried now for 4 days. He he's been buried for 4 days. And this unusual command in today's term sounds like this, dig him up, open the casket. Now that's an unusual term in fact. Unusual command in fact. Don't try this at home. Uh, don't go tell your friends we're going to the funeral home because uh, I have a friend that's buried over there. I, we're going to dig him up and open the casket lid. D- no, this is Jesus with a very unusual command. He's, it sounds like He's saying, I'm going to expose the decay that the devil brought into a life of a friend of mine. I'm going to expose this thing called death. And you know what? He is. He's going to expose this thing called death to demonstrate that death does not hold the victory that the enemy claims on life. Death does not hold the keys to the victory. So, he says, she said, by this time. Now, let me just tell you something. In your life, there are things in your life that have been dead four days. There's What I mean by that, they stinketh. This ain't a new thing in your life that's holding you back. This is not a new thing that has claimed victory over your life. This is not a new thing that part of your life is deadened. Maybe it's a relationship that just seems long gone by this time stinky dead. Maybe it is uh, um, your finances that seem like a long time stinky dead. Maybe it's a habit in your life that's got a stranglehold on you. And it seems like this, by this time, a long time, stinky dead. That's when Jesus shows up, when everything is stinky, when everything has been written off, when nobody thinks there's any hope. Jesus says, this is where I do my coolest work this is where I shine my Godness into your world. When everybody thinks this has been too long, it's been too dead, it's stinky and smelly, Jesus says, I have what it takes to uh, reinvent life and reinvent health and reinvent hope into the darkest, bleakest, most, most difficult situation. Verse 40 now. Jesus responded. Because they just said, I don't know if this is a good idea. He's stinky dead, four days, I don't know. Jesus says in verse 40, and Jesus wants to speak to you today about the thing that you have allowed the enemy to claim death upon. And Jesus says, verse 40, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? I'm telling you, this is good. Jesus said, I thought I told you. I I, I thought I gave you a kind of an advance warning that the glory of God is going to show up. I thought I let you know in advance that what you see is not what you're going to get. You can't believe everything you see. Jesus today is telling us it's the reason we should read our Bibles every day. It's the reason we should be at church listening to a sermon on Sundays and during the week too. It's because He wants to speak to us. And He speaks to us through His infallible, inerrant, eternal Word. He speaks to us through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and He gives us truth for our life. So in the moment when we're in the hardest, darkest, most difficult spot in life, He can look down from heaven through His Holy Spirit and He can say, I thought I told you. So what we need to do is claim the truth of God's word. We need to take God's word for what it says and apply it to our life. We need to claim it. We need to quote it. We need to own it. We need to wrap and saturate our life with the things that Jesus has said in our life because it changes everything. Now, the problem is often we don't learn what it is that he has told us in advance. And I just want to tell you in every scenario, I don't care what yours is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the particulars. It doesn't matter the details. It doesn't matter the specifics of your scenario where, where the enemy has claimed stinky dead on part of your life. Listen to me. Jesus wants you to know this. He ain't finished yet. It's, the book is not completed. The final chapter for your life has not been written. You see, the Bible says that what He began, He began a good work in you, and He will be faithful to complete it. You see, He's writing a chapter in your life, and His chapter is all about His glory. And in that chapter, <clears throat> it may not always seem good, but it is good in the most difficult thing that happens in our lives. And we know what they are. You have them in your world, okay? Jesus says, I have already told you, I'm going to work this out, and it's going to be really good. So now listen to what He says in verse 41. He, so He said, okay, let's move the stone, let's let out the stinky. He says now in verse 41, so they took away the stone. You, you can have a debate with Jesus, okay? He's okay with that, but at the end of the story, just do what Jesus says to do, and He'll do what He said He will do. So He says, they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward. And this is what He said, Father, I thank You that You've listened to me. Okay, now everybody lean in. In the middle of a broken group of people, in the middle of sadness and weeping and mourning and hurt and unusualness, Jesus now looks to heaven and He says, Father, I thank You that You listened to Me. It's amazing what happens when we develop an attitude of gratitude to God the Father. It is amazing what happens when we stop asking more of God and show Him gratitude and appreciation for all that God has already done in our life. But it's it's against our nature. It's against who we are. And it's okay to ask God. Ask God anything you want to, but sometimes, we need to stop asking, and we just need to say thank You, God, for what You have already done and what You said You're going to do and what You're doing in my life. It's a, good, it's a good feeling to go to God and say, God, I know it's been a while, but let me just say this real articulately. Thank You for being so good to me. Even when it hurts, we claim thankfulness we claim a god who has already demonstrated his love for us you see that's what happens when we demonstrate when we when we give offer god gratitude for what he's done it puts the focus on him and not on us now listen and when we do that it reminds us of all he's done demonstrating his love for us so when we get that then all of a sudden moving forward we can say Thank you for all you've done in the past. So I'm going to trust you with my future, that it's going to be all right, and you're going to take care of me. Now listen what happens in verse of 42. It says, I know that you always listen to me, but I said this for the sake of the crowd standing around here, that they may believe that you sent me. You see, when we pray a thankful prayer to God in the middle of our hurt, it shows the hurting people around us that we're trusting in something bigger than the hurt that we're in the middle of. It lets the world know, man, there's something outside and above that transcends and extends our circumstance and our brokenness in this moment. And then, big things happen. Jesus now in verse 43, He says, move the stone, they move the stone. Verse 43, when He had said this, He shouted in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. That's a cool word, those are cool words. Now, you've heard the preacher say, you know, the reason why he called him by name, if he'd have just said, come out, he's standing at the cemetery, everybody's getting out. Okay, so he didn't. He said, Lazarus, you know who I'm talking to. I want you by name to come out of that deadness. I'm ready for you to come out. Yeah, I just love, I just love that Jesus doesn't have to give a paragraph. He doesn't have to give an explanation All Jesus has to do is give an unusual command in an unusual situation and great things happen. I want you to know today, many of us here, Jesus has called us out of our deadness and into life. He's called us out of darkness and into light. Jesus has called us out of death. Jesus has invited us into relationship with Him one person, one name at a time. Now listen to me. What we do a lot of times is we worry more about the other person than we do about ourselves. If you would be a better Jesus follower, if you would act right, if you would learn how to be obedient to Jesus, if you would be a good Christian, then my life would be better. Listen to me. Jesus does not call you out so you can call anybody out. You couldn't call you out of deadness and you can't call somebody else out of deadness. It takes the Holy Spirit of God moved by the Father God in what the Son Jesus God has done to move anybody out of deadness and into life, out of darkness and into light. And so today, what I want you to know is you and you and you and you and me. He called me by name to come out. Now, listen to me. There's a lot of people in this world who have been invited out of the dead stuff and into a new place. We never changed address, though. He has called us out of that old thing, out of that old dead thing. And when He calls us out, He is inviting us to a new place and a new thing. But there's people who, for some reason, they've been called out. They've been invited out of deadness, out of darkness, into light, into life, and yet they choose just to hang out in the tomb, in that thing that identified your old life. He's removed the stone, man. He's exposed us for who we are. He shines a light in the depth of our soul to let us know who we really are in Him, in the truth. And He invites us out of that thing. And He calls us by name. I want you to tell the person next to you, He's inviting me out. Now tell that person, I believe I'm ready. I believe I'm ready for a new environment. You see... We can't live in the environment that identified our old dead self. We can't stay in that environment and experience the freedom and the life that Jesus is inviting us to come to. Verse forty-four: The one who had died, (laughs) he came out. (laughs) Aren't you surprised? All right, the one who's been four days stinky dead. He just did what Jesus said. He came out. His feet and his hands are tied up with strips of cloth and a cloth wrapped around his face. Now now listen. It is a sad commentary when a dead man obeys better than a live man. You know what I'm saying? It's sad commentary when four days stinky dead does exactly what Jesus says to do in two words, come out. And here we are alive And we live our lives in disobedience to the commands that he gives in our lives. It's sad that we've been trumped by a dead man. Now, he says when he comes out, though, there's something peculiar about this stinky dead man who now has new life. There's something about him that's still just not right. He's got strips of clothes. It says his feet and his hands were tied up and strips of cloth and a cloth around. He's a mummy. He's mummified. They have wrapped his body (coughs) typically with one inch (coughs) linen cloth and burial spices. And so he's alive, he's coming out, but he still looks like a dead man because he's got his old dead man clothes on. There's a lot of people in this world today that we've taken the step of obedience when Jesus calls us by name to come out and we've stepped out but the problem is we brought that old thing that marked and identified our life, our dead life. We take that with us. And so we're still dragging these old tattered, worn, broken, uh, uh, a mistaken, uh, mistaken identity clothing. We're wearing it around in a new body. We, we, so listen what Jesus now says. Jesus goes on and He says, Unwrap him and let him go. It's a full formula. It's a complete, it's a complete process that Jesus is working in our life. He d- doesn't just say, I've removed the stone exposing your deadness. I've taken away the thing that's held you confined, that's boxed you in, that's held you in a place and limited your freedom. I've removed that for you. I've gone a step further now, and I'm inviting you, now that the stone is removed, that yoke, that burden, now that it's gone, now I'm saying, come on. I have a granddaughter, Juliana, and she's uh, she's about 18 months old. And she's starting to talk and make hand gestures. She's beautiful. And she'll say, Mom. Mom. That's what she does. Moves her little hand. Mom. She said, Come on. Jesus does that to you. He says, Hey, you, come on. And He invites us out. He does that part of the process. He offers that part of the formula. He, he, he applies that to our life. He invites us in. And then when we get out there, He says, I'm not satisfied for you now to look like you used to look. Uh, I'm not satisfied for you now to just keep looking like you're a dead man and got a life, a seed of life birthed and planted in you. I want another level. I want a metamorphosis. I want you to leave the caterpillar. I want you to leave the crystallis. I want you to leave that little bag of muck behind, and I want you to emerge as a beautiful butterfly. You're not a caterpillar anymore. It's bigger. It's better than that. And and, and so they begin to unwrap Him and let Him go. John 8.36 says, So if the sun sets you free, you will be really free. We've got a lot of people that walk in a little free. I got a little free. He delivered me from some of the stuff. But when I look in the mirror, I kind of look like a, a butterfly. But as I walk on by, I still got part of my caterpillar dragging along behind me. And we got to let that stuff go. we got to come out and let Him change our clothes completely. Beautiful story. Saw it this week. I got lost. I was driving and got turned around on a road I didn't know existed. And I ended up beside the penal farm. Over here were a bunch of guys. I don't know if there's women there, but they're all incarcerated. But they had a work detail on the road. And they were wearing orange uniforms. And on the back of the uniform, they had a number, and they had the initials. I guess Knox County Penal Farm. I don't know what the initials were. I, just, I was trying to get through there before one of them jumped in the car with me. You know, I didn't know. So I was thinking about it when I was going over this message and preparing for today. One day, the fact that they're on work detail, if they are good inmates, good prisoners, good behavior, at some point, they'll probably be released. The, the, the fact that they're out there with a, a weed eater or you know a tool in their hands, probably they didn't murder 42 people, so they probably are gonna get out of jail at some point. Now, if the judge one day says you've served your time, you've paid your dues, you're an inmate of the Knox County Penal Correction Facility, but you are free now, you're free to go. Now, if this inmate says, I'm moved, that you've invited me into freedom, that you've removed the stone, you've opened my jail cell, and you've called me out into freedom. I am, I am indebted to you. Thank you for allowing me to be free." And they say, you can go today. And if he walks out the gate in an orange uniform with a number on the back, with Knox County Correctional Facility on the top of it, he will never, she will never walk in complete freedom because she will always, he will always be identified by the clothing that he had in his old life. And church, listen to me, I love you man. I got the greatest church on the planet. I, I, I don't know why I'm honored to get to pastor here, but I know this. There's people in this very parking lot or watching online who are have been called out, realize, man, that the bondage, that the stone, that the yoke, that the chain, has been removed. But we're still walking in our old clothes and we're not experiencing all of the freedom that Jesus has called us into. I'm talking the really free stuff. How do I know it's true? Am I a prophet? No. I know because in my office I have a chair. And that chair has stories. I won't share the stories, they're confidential stories, but they have many stories. And the stories are stories of bondage and brokenness and hurt and trappings that this world has brought into people's lives. And it's all because the stone has been moved, we've been invited out, and yet we still walk in those old clothes. Now listen, listen to what those old clothes were those old wrappings, that mummy uniform of Lazarus, was cloth designed along with spices, listen, to absorb the stink of decay. When He sets us free we gotta let everything that holds even a hint of odor from our old stinky decaying life. We gotta cut that stuff free. We've got to move on to the next level of our walk with Jesus. Hebrews 12.1, beautiful verse. It says, "...therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and we must run with endurance the race set out for us." we got to cut it loose. We got to keep moving and leave that stuff behind, so we can experience the freedom that God. Now listen. Often, when we invite our friends or our family or our neighbors to church, they don't come. It's aggravating and frustrating, right? Often, it's because they've watched us not live in full freedom, and they're not—they're not inclined to want something that we say we have. But when we set all that stuff free and our life is no longer entangled with the mess of this world and our old clothing carrying the stench of our old life has been removed, people will be drawn to us because now we're shining the light, we're sharing the life, we're living and walking in the truth and people, listen to me, I have known this for a long time, people may not like it. But people want to see and hear the truth. Because the truth cuts through all of the darkness of this world. When Jesus sets us free, it's really free. When Jesus sets us free, it is a radical transformation. It is a metamorphosis. A verse, everybody knows, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. So then if anyone is in Christ... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's not a modified creation. He's not an old creation with a fresh paint job. He is a new creation. What is old? Passed away. Look what is new has come. You see that? When Lazarus was in the tomb, that's the old. It's passed away. When Jesus said, Come out, the new has come. The new has emerged. Now, I want you to know this. What I just told you, you if you agree that sounds pretty good, give me an amen or a horn blow. I would never do anything to mislead or lie to anybody here. Never. I'm, I'm confident in my soul that what Jesus has done here and what His Word has spoken is accurate, And true and applicable and real to every follower of Jesus. All right? But I want you to know when you embrace that, and I pray, I hope you do, I hope you grab onto this truth and let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart and identify the the old caterpillar parts of your life that He's been wanting to cut free for a long time. I hope you realize when He called you out by name, it's because He loves you in particular and personally, and He wants a relationship with you. I want you to know that when He died on a cross, if there were nobody else on the planet, He would have climbed on that cross and died for your sin. That's how personal Jesus is with those that follow Him. But I want you to know, everybody doesn't believe. Everybody doesn't choose to follow. And if they don't believe... And if they don't follow, they're foolish. Yeah. If you're here today and you deny, you're here and you just come because somebody here and you play games and you deny there's a God, you're a fool. And that's not coming from a preacher, that's coming from the Word of God. To deny there is a God, that man is a fool. That's what the Scripture tells us. But I want you to see what it looks like unfolding in a day to day scenario. And the last unusual thing is an unusual foolishness. An unusual, unusual foolishness. I want you to look down into chapter 12 real quickly. Verse 1 says six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. Yeah, where he lived. You get that? He was dead where he lived. And it says, Whom Jesus had raised from the dead, verse 2. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. You see, he, he moved in the deadness and created a live scenario. A man has been raised from the dead, given new life. Listen what happens down at verse 10. So the chief priest planned to kill Lazarus too. For on account of him, many of the Jewish people from Jerusalem were going away and believing in him. You say, well, what is so foolish about this situation? What is so unusually foolish? The chief priests, the people who said they knew God, were wanting to kill Lazarus. Lazarus had already been there, done that, and left the t-shirt in the tomb. All right? You can't kill a dead man who's walking. And Lazarus, foolishness. They're going to kill a man that Jesus just rose from the dead. Now that's the world we live in. When somebody sees God doing great things in your life, when He sees your spirit come alive, there's naysayers and unusual foolishness often that surrounds your world. I want you to know that is when you stand strong. That is when you shine your light the brightest. That is when you open up and just confess the greatness of who Jesus is in your life. And so as we finish this chapter, and we look into 12, we land with this. Which one of those characters in that story do we identify with the most? Mary? Martha? The Jews? The priest? Who do we identify with the most? Jesus has a desire that every single one of us identify most with Lazarus. Jesus wants all of us to know that we were hopelessly bound in death. That we were without any means of life. Any means of surviving the curse that we're under because of our sin. But Jesus walked up, moved the stone away, and said, you, by name, come on out here. And He says, you, cut away the old and become a new person in Jesus' name. Jesus is life. And if we have Jesus, we have real life, full life, free life. And I want you to bow your head this morning. I want you to close your eyes. I want to pray for you. I want the Holy Spirit to move in your heart, right there in your car or online, and let you know where you stand today. Have you ever responded to His personal invitation to come out of your old dead self and into a new life? Have you ever, have you ever re- allowed Him to remove your old identification The old markers of an old life. Are you in the process of being metamorphosized into a new creature? Or did you get stuck? Wow. Did you get stuck in the middle of the transformation? Many of us are stuck. I've been stuck. Father, we come to You. We thank You for this amazing story. We thank You for this amazing event. We thank You, Father, that You have shared this in John's Gospel alone because it is a significant moment in the life of Jesus on this earth painting a picture of what Jesus does for those who follow And Father, right now, I pray that You would send Your Holy Spirit to convict our hearts, all of our hearts, and let us know where we are in the change. Have we responded to Your invitation? Are we in the process of moving forward into the new creation You died to offer us? God, I pray over the cars, over the the chairs in the parking lot. I pray over those who are watching online that your Holy Spirit will convict their hearts and let us know what you would have for us to do. God, help us be like Lazarus, simply obedient to your unusual command in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. amen. Hey, Jesus loves you and so does your pastor. I am so glad that you're here in this parking lot this morning. Uh, I didn't design it this way, being in a parking lot, but I'm okay with it. We'll, We'll be back at some point in life groups. We'll be back at our normal activities, meeting inside. But in the meantime, let's just keep on coming on Sunday morning, having a good time in this parking lot. Amen? God bless and have a wonderful week. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.